Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Good morning again. All right. Hey, we're, uh, it's going to be a great, this is going to be great. There's a lot of energy in the room. I think it's pro- because the average age in the room maybe dropped about uh, uh, 30 years this morning with the inclusion of our young, younger kids. So welcome. Uh, Pastor Jeff's going to do his best job. Uh, to preach to everyone in the room this morning, so it's gonna we're gonna have a good time. I should make it clear, by the way. I said Pastor Peter is sick. He did test negative for COVID, so he doesn't have COVID, but uh, he's still uh, feeling pretty miserable. So uh, keep praying for him. Uh, hey, we're glad that you're here. As we've been reflecting on a, a Thanksgiving weekend, we're reminded uh, here at the church, at least, the importance and and really that we need to be grateful for all the volunteers that make things happen around First Baptist. So as we think about Wednesday night dinner taking a break, we need to, be, we need to recognize that we've got an incredible crew on Wednesday nights that have been continuing to offer not just a great meal, but just a great experience on Wednesday nights. And we had, I mean, 180 people, I think, here, 190 people uh, last week. And so they're doing a great job. This group that leads us in worship every week, those are volunteers. We've got people making sound and technological things happen. We've got people delivering meals this week. We've got uh, volunteers in kids' ministry. I mean, every, every place you can think of, it happens because we have people that are willing to volunteer. So we're just grateful uh, for those of you that are uh, serving. Thank you for what you do and uh, that, we're, that we're able to uh, make it happen. Um, and really that we're able to maintain our vision of wanting to see uh, not just a great thing happen here on Sunday morning, but that we're seeing the, uh, the good news of Jesus go outside of these walls into the community and around the world. And it happens because people are, are volunteering. So, so thank, thank you for that. As we think about volunteering, I wanted to, to kind of push into that a little bit this morning, even as we jump into this passage together. Um, some of you may know I have a connection with Chick-fil-A. Uh, it is a very loose connection. Uh, so I, I, Well, I can get free stuff, but I can't get free stuff for you. Uh, I can only get free stuff for me. But my son-in-law uh, owns a Chick-fil-A restaurant, and so uh, I get, you know, I don't get to get the inner workings of uh, Chick-fil-A, but I do get enough of the Chick-fil-A uh, culture that I understand how, kind of how they operate. And so um, if you're Chick-fil-A fans and you, and you know the history of, of the company, it's an incredible uh, story. And, and the guy that started Chick-fil-A, his name's Truett Cathy, a uh, neat Christian man, and I wanted to really... Customer service and service to the community is, is really one of their linchpin uh, values and, and priorities within the company. And so here's, a, I want to read a couple quotes from him just to get us started this morning. The first thing, the first one is this. He said, I'd like to be, I'd like to be remembered as one who kept my priorities in the right order. We live in a changing world, but we need to be reminded that the important things have not changed. I have always encouraged my restaurant operators and team members to give back to the local community. We should be more about than just we should be more we should be about more than just selling chicken. We should be a part of our customers' lives and the communities in which we serve. And then he also said this, I was not so committed to financial success that I was willing to ab- abandon my principles and priorities. One of the most visible examples of this is our decision to close on Sunday. Our decision to close on Sunday was our way of honoring God and of directing our attention to things that mattered more than our business. So 
it just gets a, a snapshot of, of what this uh, company and what this guy is about. And um, make no mistake, they sell a lot of chicken. They sell a lot of chicken. But it's, in, it's important to recognize the, the, the place that service to their customers and service in general holds uh, within, uh, within that company. And then I wanted to share just another example. Uh, I've got a friend. He's a retired Air Force colonel. His name's Bob Batama. Some of you may know uh, Bob. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. And in, just in the course of our conversations over the years, one of the things that um, he didn't share this pridefully. It's just it's part of what he shared with me about how he conducted himself uh, in his position. But when he was at the end of his career, he was like the number two guy on the uh, Air Force Base there in Utah where he was uh, serving. And so very, you know, significant position. But one of the things that he did regularly was that he would walk down into the, the flight line, into the maintenance area, and really tried to make sure that he was, uh, that he knew the people that were working with and for him tried to learn their names and what they did and just showed an interest in, in what they were doing. This was not necessarily part of his job description. It wasn't something that he was required to do, but it was important to him to be a part of, uh, to be serving the people that were working with him. So as we think about that idea of, of serving, that's really where we're going to kind of land this morning. We've got a challenging uh, passage to look at. Uh, in chapter 2 of Titus. Uh, we're going to finish that up this morning. Uh, and, and so as we just reflect on where we've been in chapter 2, we're, we're finding out that, that uh, Paul is writing to Titus and he's given instructions early in chapter 2. He was writing to uh, older women and older men. And then he also uh, had, had instructions for younger men and younger women. Uh, and in particular, kind of directed things towards husbands and wives a little bit uh, there. And then in verse 9 and 10 that we're going to look at today, he's giving instructions uh, to slaves. He, he gives these instructions, however, without really addressing the morality of slavery. And so this, this can raise some legitimate questions, uh, questions that came to my mind, questions that I've even had conversations with uh, people about uh, recently. But qu the question's like, why would, why would Paul address slavery at all? I mean, why was, it a, why was it a thing that he, he chose to address? Uh, another question might be, why doesn't Paul condemn slavery? This would be an opportunity to condemn slavery. Why doesn't, he, why doesn't he do that? Does the fact that he doesn't condemn slavery then condone slavery? That would be a good question. And then maybe a more general question is, why doesn't the Bible make more clear statements about things such as this? Wouldn't it be great if everything we had a question about, the Bible had a very precise answer for. And unfortunately, we don't always get that. Many places, by the way, we do. In this particular case, uh, we don't. So these are good questions, and I'm going to do my best to tackle a couple of them uh, this morning. And I would just also say that these are, these are questions that within conversation or in the future, uh, probably sermons need to happen that address this maybe more fully. But these are conversations we need to have as we look at, at Scripture together. But let me, let me tackle a couple of these questions right up front. First one is this. Why is Paul addressing slaves at this particular point? Like he's gone through and he's, like I said, he's, he's addressed older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And then he, he turns and makes, uh, gives instructions for, for slaves. Why would he do this at all? Well, slaves made up a, a 
quite a large portion of the society in which he found himself at the time in the Roman Empire. I've heard estimates as high uh, in, that in the city of Rome, at least, a city of about a million people, that up to 40% of the population were actually slaves uh, within the city of Rome. And so uh, it was probably lower than that outside of the city of Rome, but a, a large percentage of the population were slaves. And so as a result, as people are coming to faith, many people that are coming to faith and are functioning within the church are, uh, in, are slaves themselves. So Paul's addressing uh, this uh, because he knows a lot of his audience is in that category. Now, people became slaves during that time for a number of different reasons. It could be that one country conquered another country and just enslaved uh, their, their population there was people that became slaves because they were in debt, so there was an indebtedness, and they either sold themselves into slavery or maybe one of their kids were sold into slavery so that they could pay a debt. It was much less a, a racial thing than it was a, a political and economic thing. But let me just be clear, no less evil, no less uh, bad that it was happening, but it was, it was happening a little bit differently than maybe the slavery that we have been in our own history or that, we're, that we maybe even look at today, how it, how it uh, comes about. But so there was, it was happening uh, all over the society. So in the same way that Paul saw older men and older women and, and husbands and wives in unique situations, he saw these slaves that were in a unique situation to uh, live out the truth of the gospel in the context in which they were living. In fact, if you look in 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to jump around a little bit this morning, so if, if you have a Bible this morning, I'd encourage you to have it out and ready to use because I want to jump around a little bit uh, as, as well as being in Titus chapter 2. But 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you would find that. Paul had uh, some, something to say uh, I think is relevant to this idea of, of addressing slaves. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 17, Paul says this, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Drop down to verse 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when he was called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves to human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. That can be a bit troubling when you read that. And so as we look at what Paul's saying, again, he's not addressing a morality issue here. He's addressing the fact that there was people in a particular situation and slavery was the reality rather than, he, so this is what I, I said first hour. He's not addressing the, the morality, he's addressing the reality of the fact that slavery uh, is, is happening. So why doesn't he uh, condemn it? That, that's a fair question. Here's my answer to that. And let me just say this right up front. You may not agree with everything uh, that I say this morning regarding slavery. Um, some of this we were kind of reading between the lines or trying to get a better understanding, not knowing Paul's exact context and exactly what was going on. Uh, but I, I want to be 
be clear or try to be clear about what I, I believe the, the greater scope of what Scripture is saying here. So why doesn't Paul condemn slavery? The first thing I would say about that is this is really not a passage on slavery. He's not, a, he's not addressing slavery specifically. He's sending instructions to Titus to get things in line on the island of Crete and the church there. And so it's important for us to understand the, the context in which he's writing is, is he's got other things on his mind. Now, I should also say that uh, while Paul did see himself as a person of authority, as a person that had a, a specific call from God to preach the gospel and proclaim the good news of, of Jesus, I don't believe when Paul was writing this letter to Titus that he knew that he was writing the Bible, right? I don't believe that he said, hey, this is going to be scripture that people are going to be reading from generations, any of his letters. Now, let me, and I want to be clear, the Spirit of God inspired Paul's writings, they are holy scripture to us. What I'm saying is, did Paul know when he was writing that he was writing the Bible? And I would say no. I don't believe he knew that. And so he's addressing issues as they come up. He is addressing, addressing them as a man who was, had authority from God, as a, had a call from God uh, to address the issues or to uh, proclaim the good news of Jesus. But I believe if he knew he was writing the Bible, he might have written things differently, like you and I would do. If we knew that we were going to be writing the Bible, we would have some maybe specific ideas or some ways that we would want it written. And so to me, this is the beauty of, of the Bible as we have it. We've got the Bible inspired by God, completely authoritative to our situation, but also written to a very specific context um, in which it was written. So Paul didn't, Paul didn't realize um, that about himself. So the beauty of this is we need to understand the, the greater arc of what, what does Scripture say? What does it say about slavery? What does it say about any particular issue? It's important that we don't base our understanding on one particular passage or one particular verse. So let's get this straight. We, we know that God set the Israelites free from Egypt, the bondage that they were in, the slavery they were in in the Old Testament. He set them free uh, from that. No question about that. Uh, and we also have these words from uh, Paul in 1 Timothy. As Paul was addressing the situations uh, with Timothy, he says this. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. He says, we know, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, for liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. So as he mentions slave traders in here, he lumps them in with everybody that is not functioning according to sound doctrine. So I think if you asked Paul to his face, what do you think of slavery, he'd give you an earful of what he thought of slavery. And it wouldn't be like, hey, I think it's okay. He would condemn it as something that is evil and is dehumanizing all the things that we would uh, say today. But as, again, as Paul was writing, he was not writing in that particular context. So here's what I would want to say about this. And as we think about Scripture itself and, and, and its impact on our life, whenever we see the good news of Jesus and, and whenever we see the gospel preached and when we, when we see Scripture that is studied and understood correctly, we will find entire societies that reject the idea of enslavement of another, another human being. 
I don't think you can read Scripture any other way. If you, if you read the Bible and you understand the Bible and you study the Bible, there's no way that you can come to any other understanding that we are created in God's image, that we are unique, we are a valuable person, and the idea of enslaving another human being would be wrong. I don't think you can come to any other conclusion. But we have to understand this is the, 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 the broader arc of what um, uh, Scripture is trying to teach us. An example of this, I believe, is found in, in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians 3, I believe, is kind of the, the, the pinnacle of what Paul would say about our relationship with, with Christ and how it impacts our relationship with one another. In Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 26, Paul says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For, you are all, for, you, for all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's God's heart for people. That we would have a relationship with him and that as we come to faith in Jesus, we all come at the same place. Regardless of our circumstances and situations. The problem with this is that as we look around our world, we see a world full of injustice. Uh, we see a world full of evil. We see slavery, human trafficking, child soldiers. And we recognize that there's a lot that is undone, that's left to be done. Even in places where it's illegal, where slavery is illegal, like the United States, if we're honest, we recognize that slavery still happens. The idea of sex trafficking, it happens in the United States. So it's not a legal issue. This is not a, really as much a, a, an issue of legality as it is an issue of the heart. Broken people do incredibly evil things. And so when we reflect on this, we recognize that it's, it's what needs to happen is not so much we need to establish all these legalities. We need to recognize that our, our work as followers of Christ is to impact the world with the message, the life-changing message of Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to transform lives. It's not going to be a matter of convincing people to give up power and authority over others. It's going to be a change of their heart that's going to make a difference. And here's the thing. Uh, Often when we look in Scripture at a response or uh, whether it's a response to slavery or other things, we're going we're to be surprised at how we see Scripture directing us. Often it's exactly opposite of what I would want to do as a human being. My advice to a slave might be to, to rebel, to throw off the oppression, to escape as quick as you can. You don't see that in Scripture. The way of Jesus is always 180 degrees from the way I would respond in my, in my humanity. And so we need to recognize that as we look at this passage, it's going, to be, it's going to challenge us to consider my human response versus God's response. So let's look at it. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 10. Paul says this to Titus. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So let's look at this real quick. Four, four quick instructions. And like, 
like the other parts of, of Titus chapter 2, not a lot of explanation needed here. I think as we look at this, I, we can get a pretty good understanding of what Paul is asking Titus to tell these folks. The first thing he says is that they are to be subject to your masters. This is not a new idea. This is not even a new idea in chapter 2. Because if we, if we reflect back in chapter 2, when he was talking to the younger uh, men and women, wives in particular, he told the wives to be subject to their husbands. Same word, same idea. This is not a new idea. And so he's reminding us that this is obedience regardless of circumstances. He, he tells the slaves, be respectful, don't talk back, understand the line of authority, understand your place in, in, the, in the line of authority. Be honest and trustworthy. These are the two, this idea was, would be more challenging for me because as I, as I think about being in a situation like that, it almost becomes easy to justify bad behavior. Like if I have the opportunity to be dishonest or to take something from my master or to make him look bad or whatever it would be, I, you almost feel like you could justify that because of the situation that they're in. But, but Paul says just the opposite. He says, be honest and trustworthy. So this, this, this is an example of that uh, for me, of, of the idea that my natural response versus what God is calling me to do is often different. Paul's, th this theme or this idea or these ideas that he is, he's given to slaves is, again, consistent with what we see in other places. Peter, one of the apostles, wrote two letters, First and Second Peter. And in Second Peter... Uh, chapter 2, this is what he says. He says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, it is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So this morning, I want to really land on two big ideas. And I, I, I think one of the things that I want to push back against a little bit is as I was kind of reflecting and working on this passage a little bit, a lot of the sermons that I have heard on this address the employer-employee relationship. And I have to be honest, uh, I really have a, I have a problem with that. I, I, I don't think that we can equate the employee-employer relationship with the slavery that Paul's addressing here. There are principles, don't get me wrong, there are principles that we're going to point to here in a second that might have application in that relationship, but I don't think we can make an apples-to-apples -apples comparison with what uh, we're experiencing as an employee in a in a job situation with what Paul's addressing here. But I do want to land on two, um, two ideas. First is this. Uh, you may be here this morning and you might find yourself in a circumstance or situation that is that you would consider really uh, hopeless or powerless, that you are powerless in. It, it could be within, within your marriage. It could be within an, in your job. It could be some other relationship or other uh, circumstances that you're dealing with that you feel completely powerless and hopeless in, in that circumstance. So I believe that there, there, there are situations 
that have more direct application to us. I also would say this. Most of us here and most of us watching this morning really cannot identify with this idea of being completely powerless and hopeless. And as we think about this slavery issue and being in a situation where you have no, absolutely no control over your future, over your today, your tomorrow, your circumstances, it's an incredibly uh, hopeless place to be. And most of us have not really dealt with that uh, to that degree. Now, uh, as a result, it would be very easy to disregard this and say, well, then this doesn't really apply to me because Paul's not addressing a situation that I find myself in. And I think we would be wrong to do that because of a couple things. Uh, one is, uh, I believe that Scripture is always going to be found relevant in our life. And I also believe that if, it, if, if it's not, if you don't find it completely relevant in your situation right now, uh, give yourself a week or a few weeks. Uh, you're going to find that it's going it's to fit. So it would be wrong to disregard this altogether. But secondly, let me land on this idea, because as we think about slavery and the idea of being servants, uh, one of the key themes in Scripture is that we are challenged to be servants and slaves of Jesus. Peter and Paul, as they wrote, both addressed themselves as servants, as slaves of Jesus Christ. As we think about the idea of being Christians and being followers of Christ, Consistently through Scripture, this idea of being a, a servant, a slave, the Greek word doulos, is consistently put out there. So we, even if we can't identify as actual slaves, we are putting ourselves in submission to the person of Jesus Christ. He's our master. We are his servants and his slaves. So as we unpack this, Jesus is our example. And, when, and if, we can, if we can land on this and we can really embrace this, it's going to change how we encounter adverse, adversity in our life, tragedy, grief, any issues that come into our life, if we, if we can really embrace this idea of being a slave of Jesus Christ, it's going to change our response to our circumstances. When we see injustice, when we experience injustice, it's going to change how we respond. And Jesus is our example on this. There are many times where he could have chosen power over submission you just look at his life, his, the very fact of him coming to the earth the way he came to the earth, he's choosing to submit rather than be powerful. He comes as a, as a baby. He comes as the Messiah. They're looking for a conquering warrior Messiah. Jesus comes as a servant Messiah, completely 180 degrees from what they expected. He's choosing service over power. He's in the garden praying towards getting ready to go to the cross for us. And one of his final prayers to his father is, God, not, not my will, but your will be done. Again, he could have chosen power over submission. He chose to submit. He was executed versus overthrowing the oppressive, uh, the oppressive empire. The expectation was this Messiah was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and set us all free. He's executed. So as we, as we look at this, he was a great example of choosing to submit over choosing power. And one of the places this is illustrated, I think, best is in John chapter 13 where he washes the disciples' feet. 
So again, this is towards the end of his life. He's with his disciples. None of them is going to stoop low enough to wash, wash each other's feet. Jesus washes their feet. But it's important that we understand what it says there in John chapter 13. Because in John 13, it says Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he came from and where he was going. And so then he served. And if we truly can embrace the understanding, not just of being slaves of Jesus Christ, but what it means that we're choosing to follow Christ and who we are, where we're going, what our future holds, then the prospect of becoming a servant becomes less daunting to us because we know who we are, we know who we serve, we know where we're going. So church, if we could imagine embracing this, this identity of being a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, it would change everything. It would change how we impacted or how we lived out in the community of Hanford, how we moved out into the world. It would change uh, how we do things. And the impact would be incredible. So regardless of where you find yourself this morning in the, in the, in the, the social pecking order, whether you are a powerful business owner that has a lot of people working for you or you feel like, man, I've got no influence, no power whatsoever. I've got, I've got no way to make an impact. Regardless of where you find yourself today, you have the opportunity uh, to make the gospel look good. So if you're the boss and everyone answers to you, how are you treating the people that respond to you? Are you making the gospel look good in how you do that? As, as you run your business, are you doing it in a way that your finances are above board and, and there's no question about how you conduct yourself? Are you making God look good in that? If this morning you may be uh, someone that is at, at the lowest part within the company and you have to submit to authority all the time, are you behaving in a way, behaving in a way that makes God look good? When injustice comes your way or when you get treated poorly, do you respond in a way that, that God shines through? Or is it all about how you look and you getting your satisfaction? Are you doing your work to the best of your ability? Are you doing it only when people see you and know what you're doing? Or are you doing it when no one else is watching? At the end of the day, uh, even, even in our most difficult circumstances and situations, if we will choose to live a godly, upright holy life, it is going to make God look good and it's going to impact the people around us. In verse 10 of chapter 2, Paul finishes this way. He says, slaves do these things so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. This is what we're about. You could go back to the beginning of chapter 2 and as you go through the old men, old women, younger men, younger women, wives, husbands, slaves, it's all about living in such a way as to make the gospel of God look good. And it, it caused me to reflect on Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 5. So we've heard from Paul, we've heard from Peter, you know, we've looked at some of these uh, apostles in their writing. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. And let me just be clear here. When Jesus is teaching, he's teaching to a group of people that are living under an oppressive government. The Roman Empire was oppressing them. They were looking to be set free. He says this, uh, you, are the light, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people 
light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as I, as I reflect on this, this idea of being the challenge of being a servant of Jesus Christ, it really comes down to this, that regardless of our circumstances and our situations, regardless of whether we're a person of power or we're relatively powerless, it's all about are we going to let our light shine in a way that is people are gonna, going to see how we live and not say, hey, you did a great job, but they're going to be pointed to God. And if we, if we can do that as a church, if we can do that as individuals within our community, we're going to make an incredible impact in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we're grateful. As we think about even this Thanksgiving week, we are grateful people. You have been so good uh, to us. And, and we recognize that even as we look at a passage uh, focused on the ugliness of slavery and, and really the reality of that, uh, we are grateful that for the most part we are uh, free from that. We have not experienced anything like many people in the world are experiencing even this day. So as we, uh, as we approach uh, this time of Thanksgiving, we're grateful for your faithfulness to us uh, as individuals, as a church, as a community. And so God, we pray that you would, uh, that we would be reminded the importance of not just going through the motions, but living our lives in such a way that we are glorifying you, that people would see uh, you through us, that they would hear you through our conversations. So even as we move into a week that could involve uh, family, and we know that there's challenges with that sometimes, God, would, would we even within those conversations point people uh, to you? So would you, would you bless us? Would you empower us? Would you give us courage to live as followers of yours, as slaves of Jesus Christ through this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.